Hello there, and welcome to episode 15 of Life from Vader's Castle. As always, you're joined by myself, Dan McQuarrie, and my co-host, John Lee. Hello, John. Hello there. How are we doing this fine evening? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Buzzing for the weekend, how about you? Oh yeah, buzzing for the weekend as always. Not working this weekend, which is nice. Just a dream. A nice free weekend. Nice. I mean, it's, it's meant to be like 26 down here. What's the weather like in oh, Scotland this it weekend? Is, it is roasting up here. I'm, oh. I'm positively sweating right now in my bedroom. Oh, you'd love to see it. I had my window open, but I had to shut it for noise. So I'm now mm. just going to be a little bit warm. But it's fine. We'll survive. We do. I mean, thankfully as well, we've been blessed with another fantastic episode of The Bad Batch this week. Oh, the blessings just keep on coming. <laughs> It's been a uh, it's been a decent week for TV. I know we're not a Marvel show, but the Loki finale was pretty incredible, and uh, then we got a really good episode of Bad Batch as well. So there's uh, there's no complaints from a from a Disney Plus subscriber. No, yeah, that's very true. Actually, very blessed. I mean, it's definitely worth that uh, five ninety nine a month. Yeah, exactly. Money well spent. Um, <laughs> so yeah, on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the newest episode today, which was episode twelve called rescue on ryloth and we're going to be talking about last week's episode episode 11 devil's deal because last week we did our whole episode on into the dark our book club episode which if you haven't seen check it out it's a good one um so yeah we're going to be doing a double dose of bad batch today um which to be honest has worked out quite well because these episodes are definitely very connected um sort of feels like one big story split into two episodes as opposed to you know subsequent episodes so it uh, kind of lends itself to the the double dose today yeah definitely works out better i think just talking if we talked about them like each week like last week and then this week i don't think it would quite flow as well i think in one go definitely works out better yeah it's definitely like a its own mini arc these two episodes mm. it's the the ryloth arc so um so yeah let's just uh let's just dive into it this um we'll obviously start with next week's but i think with a lot of the stuff we'll sort of be talking about both episodes at the same time but sort of we'll, we'll start with, <clears throat> with last week's episode um as soon as i saw ryloth i thought oh could we be seeing i mean I, lo- I love hera but really i was just thinking am i gonna see chopper right now as soon as i saw ryloth so i was just waiting for the moment where his little eyepiece came up over that rock and then we heard the and then I was like oh yes <laughs> Chopper <laughs> the undisputed greatest droid ever behind R2-D2 um, very excited to see Chopper again and a younger Hera Syndulla obviously if you don't know who they are they're big characters from Rebels um, I'm a huge Rebels fan so I was very excited to see both these characters return and yeah, I mean, I'm, I imagine John, you were much the same. Did you did you get excited when you when you saw and heard Chopper? I did, yeah. When little Chopper, his little eyepiece came over the thing, I was like, oh, hello, here we go. Uh, the uh, one of the biggest war criminals in Star Wars back again. Um, <laughs> the war criminal to end all war criminals, Chopper. Yeah, that man is lethal. Yeah, it's very exciting to see him. You know, again, voiced by Dave Filoni, um, which is always a treat. Uh, the the blessings of his voice through that distorted, 
I don't know, it was like wob wob, or like whatever. Uh, they're playing <laughs> through and through. Yeah. And yeah, seeing Hera is always fantastic as well. As you said, fan favourite from Rebels. As I see a younger version. Yeah, it definitely served as like a prequel to her story, really. This was like the um, Hera's first mission as a rebel, basically, was the, the story of these sort of two episodes from her point of view. But then also really acted as like a sequel to sort of the the Liberty on Ryloth sort of arc all the way back from the first season of Clone Wars. So it was it was an interesting sort of um, setting for these episodes, very much like a sequel to some of the Clone Wars stuff, prequel to some of the Rebel stuff, ties into one of the books, which we'll talk about. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it was it was, a, it was an interesting setting for the episode, particularly because the first one was very Bad Batch light. We didn't get that one in the second one, but the first one was very Bad Batch light. It really was a Hera chopper cham syndula sort of episode which on its own i could understand a little bit of criticism for it but when you pair these two episodes together they really tell a complete story and um yeah i really really liked it how are you how are you feeling about these episodes yeah i mean that's a really good point actually i think there's so many uh as you said there's so many points on like the clone wars where this like follows on from um especially on you know, the ryloth stuff and then there's so many points from Rebels that this obviously draws back to um, that there was like breadcrumbs of uh, Hera's like past in Rebels, and I think now we're suddenly getting the answers to like some of those things, um, like her accent and stuff in Rebels. Like when she's talking to her dad, we'll go like slightly back to her normal accent we've seen in these little couple episodes. So I like those sort of nods and the uh, you know the breadcrumbs they've picked up from before, and then the ones they're they're, they're leaving. Uh, to then follow on to Rebels and things I think is it's really it's really well done yeah and it was um, it's funny you picked up the accent because it was the exact same voice actress who played Hera in um, Rebels and then in Squadrons as well because she voiced Hera in Squadrons but it was the same voice actress but she put on the bit of the French Ryloth uh, twang which is you know as you said that we see a little bit in Rebels when she sees Cham which was as he said, a nice touch. But interestingly, when we saw her in Rebels, we saw Cham, but we never saw her mother because the mother at this point was dead. However, in this episode, we finally got to meet Hera's mum, which was a nice introduction. She seems pretty badass. You can sort of see where Hera gets some of her her badass attitude. And when you take freedom fighter Cham Syndulla and sort of take no shit mother and combine them, you get Hera and it sort of makes sense now that we've seen the two of them together. So I thought that was a really nice bit of character work for, you know, in the context of the Bad Batch show, it worked really well in sort of showing the way the Empire is sort of seizing control of the galaxy and, you know, further develops the Bad Batch's story, particularly in the second episode. But then for diehard Rebels fans, this is a pretty rewarding couple of episodes to learn a little bit more about Hera and sort of connect some of those dots of why she is the way she is. So, yeah, I, I was a big fan. Yeah, I mean, a, a good point you made there is that in this episode, it's not just about, like, the the stuff that's, like, right in front of you. There's a lot of background things going on about, like, the Empire and, like, how it's taken over planets and, like, the stuff that is going to eventually lead to, like, the original Star Wars that we've seen. That's very much in the background of this episode as alongside, you know, like the, the stuff we all want to see, like, you know, Hera, the Bad Batch, uh, Chopper, all that sort of stuff. And I've always thought that like people that 
have criticised episodes in the past. I've sometimes missed some of these points as well. I like the background stuff. I like not fully appreciated that it's there. So I'm interested to see. I haven't actually looked at what people have said about these two episodes, but I'll be interested to see if people have actually noticed the background stuff as well as the like stuff that's meant to be more in your face. Because uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like the Dave and like the writers there have always been very good. The series are like. Um, having things like within the background for you to pick up on if you really want to notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, when, when they announced the Bad Batch, like I've said this before on the podcast, like I never got excited because, oh my God, it's going to be the Bad Batch show. The thing which excited me was like the era, you know, seeing the empire taking over immediately after order 66, not like, you know, in rebels when we see them a bit closer to the original trilogy and in solo, when we see the rebel, the sort of empire, you know, 10 years in, this is like right at the beginning of the empire. So this was a thing that always appealed to me about the show. You know, it's just so happened that these 12 episodes we've had so far, I've fallen in love with the bad batch and they're some of my favorite characters, but I didn't have that thought when the show came out. What interested me was seeing the, like the politics, the, the war, the impacts of like this era. So when we had an episode, which was essentially like practically no bad batch, it actually worked quite well for me because I was like, you know what, this is actually some of the stuff I really want to see is I want to see how the empire is affecting, you know, all these planets and people that we know. And obviously Ryloth played a big part in the Clone Wars. And it was nice to see that sort of change from the Ryloth we saw in the Clone Wars. And then the Ryloth we see now just after the end of the Clone Wars, obviously with the same characters, Cham Syndulla, um, Gobi, um, Orn Fritar, like we see the same characters, but how the Empire is changing them and changing Ryloth. So, it, um, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting. And yeah, those are sort of the wider stories that the Bad Batch is trying to tell. And I think when you delve a little bit deeper than just sort of what's happening with like the main character, you do start to pick up on this stuff and certainly makes it more rewarding. Yeah, definitely. I think a big one as well about choosing Ryloth um, for me is that like, Star Wars has always been very um, political. Well, not very political, but, you know, like the empires, like the Nazis, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone knows the sort of face value, like political viewings that George Lucas has um, and that Star Wars has overall. And Ryloth, I always think, not that I know much about like history and the war, but like they're definitely like a representation of like the French freedom fighters and stuff, um, which is why they've obviously got like that French twang, twang to their voice, voices and, you know... Um, they're very much like the freedom fighters we saw in uh, Clone Wars um, and obviously then in Rebels. So I think that's always nice that they've kept, like, you know, the writers in Bad Batch and Dave Filoni are keeping that, like, I don't know, there's always like a an anti-war <laughs> or like some political message in the background if you really want to look for it in Star Wars. Uh, it's nice yeah. that they kept that going by choosing this yeah. particular planet, I think, was quite cool. I mean, for a franchise which is called Star Wars, it's like the most anti-war <laughs> franchise going. I mean, it's like, that's George Lucas's like primary message. And I think when, you know, when you see people say, oh, Star Wars isn't supposed to be political, it's like, have, have you seen it? <laughs> Do you know George Lucas? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it was, it was definitely one of those episodes where you sort of see you know, some of the themes that this is picking up on is sort of like political greed with like the Senator Orm Fritar, you know, um, the, the whole idea of like peace at a cost and like, you know, 
protection versus like control and that sort of thing you're getting a lot of in this and these episodes but the empire sort of turning up and saying right we're gonna strip your planet bare of all its materials um but we're gonna protect you as long as you lay down your arms and ryloth has always been quite a proud planet that fights for itself twi'leks are strong soldiers so you can understand where the sort of um where the conflict is um and i thought that first episode particularly showed that really well um so I thought what we'll do is we'll for the first episode there's just a, a couple sort of like interesting little bits that I want to pick up on and chat about and then we'll sort of get on to the second episode and the whole um sort of overall storyline but I think the first thing to like to talk about was it was you saw a very different side of Cham Sindula particularly right at the beginning he was very he was um I almost felt that he was very in denial he was like lying to himself he was just like you know, we've been fighting so long, we need peace. He had that interesting line about like he didn't want Hera to grow up fighting like he did. But I think he was very much in denial of like what the Empire were doing and what they were capable of. But interestingly enough, it was him at the beginning saying that, yeah, lay down your weapons, we want peace. Because this is the same guy in the Clone Wars who was like, didn't want help from clones because he wanted to fight the war himself. Um, so what did you think of this... Um, this new sort of life outlook for uh, for Cham in this in this episode in particular. I think I think what he said to begin with made perfect sense. Um, to be fair, as someone who's you know in the, in the Clone Wars, we saw him like fighting for you know their freedom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I feel like once you kind of get an idea of what that peace and like freedom is, even if it is through the Empire, like at first you're going to take like a blind eye to maybe the negatives that come along with it. Um, so I can definitely understand why at first he was like, you know, let's just enjoy. We've been fighting for, you know, at least like four or three years for the crime wars. They might be fighting before that for other things. Um, so let's just enjoy our peace. And I quite liked his speech as well, to be fair to him. Um, when he mentioned the clones and, you know, he was like, the clones protected us in the past during the war. Um, you know, we can trust them to look after us now. You know, that makes sense from what they know they know the clone troopers that they don't know that they're like practically droids in the Empire's army. Like they still think that they're the same people that protected them and, you know, the Republic is now changed to the Empire, but they don't know like the sinister dealings behind it. So I completely yeah. understand his view on it to be fair. Yeah, I think that's a really good point with the clones as well, because I just thought these two episodes were so expertly written because they used Hauser and I mean, we'll go into a lot of detail about Hauser because his story was fascinating, but like Hauser was represented what that, what Ryloth thought all the clones were like. And obviously the clones are now something different, but Hauser was battling that whole time of like, what clone was he going to be? Was he going to be these new clones that just blindly followed orders from the empire? Or was he going to be like the clones that they were in the clone wars where they were, you know, fighting for people's freedom and that sort of thing. And, Obviously, a lot of that had to do with maybe his chip. We're not 100% sure. And we'll get into a little bit more about it. But I just thought using him alongside a lot of what a lot of what Cham was saying was just really, really interesting. And I think it, it made that point sort of land so much better. I mean, I imagine you've got a lot to say about Hauser as well. But um, <laughs> what do you think? No, yeah, I think using him for the comparison... Um, as it, you know, it's clearly it's clear watching the two episodes that he obviously that was his base 
during the Clone Wars, like he was based there and he you know, knows the people well. He knows the uh, Sindura's, Sindura's obviously really well. Um, so using him to kind of portray, as you said, you know, how they view the clones and uh, versus like how we as the audience view the clones after, you know, all these episodes. Uh, I think that really helped sink in maybe like made us feel more in tune to what the, they were, the um, Sindulas were feeling like in the episode and like how they were trust, how their trust was broken and right, literally like right in front of their eyes through um, the actions of the clones and then obviously through the actions of the Empire. So I think that really helps help it hit the actions hit home. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got I've got some opinions and some theories about our boy Hauser, but yeah. I'm sure we'll get us answer them. Yeah, we'll, we'll sort of come back to a lot of the Hauser stuff when we discuss the second episode. But just I think his his presence in that first episode. I remember you know we were messaging back and forth last week saying, "Oh, this Hauser guy's interesting. What are they saying with him?" Um, and obviously, a lot of that was answered this week. But it's definitely an interesting presence in the first episode, and definitely not your average clone. So um, he was interesting. I think the other the other character, which I thought, I mean, I hate him, but played quite an interesting role was uh, the good old Senator Orn Fritar, um, the good, greedy, only looking out for himself Senator that we met in the Clone Wars. Him and Cham have always been a bit at, at odds with each other, but they sort of found a mutual agreement sort of during the Clone Wars. And at this point, he's now feeling a bit threatened by Cham. He sees all this prosperity that he might have under the Empire, probably him himself, possibly, but not obviously not his people, but he never cared about his people. Um, and then he ended up getting his just desserts because he gets betrayed by the Empire and almost killed. Um, I've got quite a bit to say about the almost killed bit, but I'll, I'll pass over to you. What Did you... Uh, did you like his character's presence in the episode and what it was sort of saying about, you know, greedy politicians and <laughs> that sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, Star Wars keeping their political messages going, indoctrinating the children at a young age. Like, these are not the people you want in power. Get them out. Um, if you see that in your real day lives, children, that's that's what we're looking for. Get them out. Very much um, the Boris Johnson of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Star Wars keeping it political as always. And if you don't think so, watch the episode. Because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he's a prime example of how he thinks he's going to benefit from the Empire uh, through, you know, wealth, money and greed. And basically gets his just desserts, as he said. Um, I feel like he's it's one of those characters that you see him a lot in you know, television and films and stuff. They're basically just, they reach, they reach too high and uh, they end up falling down. You know, they fly too close to the sun, aiming for greed and stuff. And then they end up getting shot in the face. Um, just usually. another pawn of the empire. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it goes to show how clever the empire is um, at getting what they want, really. Cause they could, they were losing um, the hearts of the people there. And the, genius plan to be honest to like win it back round and turn everyone's opinions on their heads and you know who they could trust who they can't trust um, yeah ramparts are sm- uh, ramparts coming across as quite a smart villain actually he's he's a bit more um because a lot of these sort of imperial officers we meet are often just you know scared of darth vader and a lot of them are like blubbering idiots but ramparts quite come across as quite smart quite calculated 
I'm quite liking his character's role actually. I think he's um he's playing quite an interesting part. Yeah. I mean he's not yeah, exactly. He's no he's no Muppet. He's uh he's he's calm, he's calculating. I feel like there's sometimes he's made some decisions that probably he should have gone the other way. I mean, in like the second episode, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. There was one thing he was he, decision he made, and I was like, "Oh, you you fool! You'll be kicking yourself later." Um, but I think again, that's just like his arrogance, um, which I'm kind of hoping that again, as the tropes go in these films and TV shows, the characters who think too much of themselves always end up getting it in the end. Yeah, and I imagine by the end of this season, I think Admiral Rampart probably will end up getting his just desserts, <laughs> much like Orn Fritar. Um <laughs> The Orn Fritar scene was interesting because I the book in question I haven't read. There's a book called Lords of the Sith, which is um, set five years after this, with where Vader and Palpatine go to Ryloth to put down some sort of insurgency there. The Free Ryloth movement sort of tied in a lot with the Samdu uh, the Sindulas. And um, it's the uncle whose name escapes me who tries to sort of kill Palpatine and Vader when they're on the planet. I believe he's unsuccessful, but Ornfritar is alive in this book. So at the at the end of the last episode, there were a lot of people kicking off saying, "Oh, here we go, more more books being retconned. Um, Ornfritar's been killed." But they they did make the point to say that it was an attempted assassination, and then in the second episode went on to confirm that he is um he's recovering from being shot in the head, which is quite impressive to be honest, if you've managed to be shot in the head and still surviving, but you know, crosshair is probably such a good shot that he managed to angle it just right. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so all three tars not dead, but I feel like in the world of the animated shows, he may as well be dead. Like that's probably the end of his story now, but they were just saying he's alive just to sort of keep canon. Cause obviously he was alive sort of five years down the line. But um, to anyone who was freaking out, they haven't retconned anything. He is still alive. <laughs> Although I would have quite enjoyed seeing his brains being spluttered against <laughs> the side of the ship. I'm not a big fan of that character at all. <laughs> no, I feel like, yeah, it's all part of Rampart's plan. Like, uh, I just think he's still alive, but how much influence will he actually have? He's probably just going to end up being like, you know, weakened at Bernie sort of thing just for the Empire to wheel them out whenever they, they need a show of face. But basically the Empire was going to be in control. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, because the, the, the guys of the Senate existed all the way through to a new hope. So, um, you know, each planet still technically had a senator, whether that senator had any power whatsoever. They really didn't. It was the moths and the, the grand moths and everything that had all the power. But um, yeah, he'll sort of be, as you said, wheeled out when they need him to pretend that Ryloth's still under its own control. But really, it's the Empire who who control it now, which is obviously where the the whole free Ryloth movement and everything comes from, sort of in the subsequent years. Um, so yeah, I think that was obviously sort of the everything aside from Hera's story. So I guess we'll just sort of dive into Hera's story. She, um, We meet her right at the beginning, being a little bit of a troublemaker. She's doing some spying, her and Chopper, old Chopper. Um, she's dreaming of flying as well. I thought that was a really nice scene when she was like lying on the ground, sort of <clears throat> flying her hand through the sky, the beautiful music playing and everything. Um, love that. And then she gets herself in trouble, continues to get herself in trouble by going to a supply run with her uncle 
bumps into the Bad Batch. And then we have that little, the Bad Batch's cameo appearance in their own show <laughs> in that first episode when Hera meets the Batch and particularly Omega. I think this was probably out of the first episode. This was my favourite scene um, just because I love the interaction between the two characters. I thought particularly the line when um, they were talking about flying and Omega said, tech won't let me fly until I've learned all the safety specifications. <laughs> it's just the most tech thing ever. The fact that he just doesn't trust her to fly until she's read every instruction manual. Um, but yeah, I like that whole interaction between the two of them. They formed quite a, a nice little bond sort of quite quickly. And then sort of <laughs> when she goes and she tells um Omega that flying is just a feeling and <laughs> when Omega says to Tech oh yeah apparently flying's just like a feeling and he's like what's a feeling because <laughs> Tech obviously doesn't think in that way so yeah I thought that was a really um fun little interaction it was obviously it's very bad batch light but um I thought it was an effective little scene and perfectly set up the the next episode yeah I mean I think it's just nice for uh, Omega to have <laughs> seem to make herself a friend um of her own age, you know, everyone she's interacted with in the show so far has been, you know, like twice her age, if not more. Um, so it's nice to see her interacting with someone her own age. And yeah, they did have a nice little interaction on the ship, a nice discussion about flying. And I think, as you said, that was, that was a nice, nice line from Hera. She's like, flying is like a feeling. And it's just like, well, you're going to end up being one of the best pilots in the galaxy in a couple of years time. So Emerald in the rebellion, got, yeah, yeah. I can imagine you've got a little knack for it. Um, yeah, that was actually quite a funny line from Tech as well. It did make me laugh. Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, it was a, a, a brief cameo for the Bad Batch in their own show. But I think, obviously, after seeing this week's episode, I think it worked well and it helped it, the pacing. I think between the two shows is really good. Um, yeah, I think yeah, if it had just been like after the next week, last week's episode, that was it for that story. It probably would have gone down like a lead balloon. Mm-hmm. But after yeah. today, I think it's worked out really well. Yeah. And, you know, the episode ended with quite an exciting action sequence, obviously. Hera is arrested and charged for treason as a kid, which is ridiculous. And obviously it's part of Rampart's plan, I imagine, to lure out Cham Sindula, which he takes the bait. Him and uh, him and his wife jump on Blurgs, which I thought was a nice little... Uh, little um, callback to obviously Mandalorian recently and then Clone Wars back in the day with the Blurgs. Um and then yeah they Cham had that awesome javelin throw where he took the clone off the speeder. Um but that was a cool little little fight sequence, little rescue sequence, obviously plot big plot twist at the end with Crosshair shooting on free tar and the Sindulas getting arrested and obviously Hera escaping with Chopper and sort of as you said, the episode leaving it like that, sort of the question is like, what was what was going to happen in the next episode? Was that story going to be picked back up on or were they just p- putting a pin on it for another time? Um, but no, second episode, we just went straight back into it with um, Hera on the run and the Sindulas in prison. And I, I particularly liked this second episode. I think the first one was enjoyable, but the second one for me was the the episode that really sold me. I thought seeing Hera as a rebel really for the the very first time and obviously chopper as well just getting up to his mischief but seeing you know hera hunter like having to trust in hera's trust in hera believe in her obviously a mega already believing in her because of the friendship and hera pulling off this big plan to rescue her parents i thought was a really really cool concept for the episode but 
very important, I think, for developing her character and understanding why the character that she is in Rebels is just always fighting. She just never wants to give up the fight, even when Kanan's just like, why don't we just give up the fight? Hera never will. And I think you can sort of see those seeds very clearly in this episode of, you know, very much her her father's daughter, her mother's daughter, and um, a freedom fighter till the end. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. Very very good points. I mean, you can really see like how determined that she is in this episode to save her parents. You know, the fact that she even manages to convince the hunter and the rest of the bad batch to help her out um, against such difficult odds. I mean, I know they end up winning in the end because that's how the story goes, but I think just to entice them in is enough. Um, even if it did take Omega to like convince them otherwise, I think it just shows the determination on Hera. A lot of people would have just given up. I mean, it helped that she was just like throwing money at them. She was like, I'll pay you double. I was like, oh, we haven't even discussed how much you're paying in the first place. Are you throwing double out there? Uh, but yeah, I mean, this whole episode, I think especially in the first episode as well, when she was so keen to go out and join her uncle on like his little um, freedom fighter missions, uh, I think then that led on really well into this episode to just make it really believable about how much she was going to, how she wouldn't give up and how determined she was just going to be. Yeah, and I think Omega was great in this episode as well because there was that particular line when Hunter was like, oh, the risk isn't worth it. And then, like, Omega was like, yeah, but it is to her, it's her parents. Like, I would do the same if it was you guys. And I just thought, like, Omega played sort of as big a part in, like, convincing Hunter and the Bad Batch to actually go through this mission as Hera did because, you know, Omega's... I mean, she's she's gotten to the point now where she's she's her own character. She's just like very selfless. I mean, there was a whole line of like, you know, where Hunter was like, "This galaxy's a big place. We can't like go and fight every time someone needs help." And then she's like, "Yeah, but I thought that's what soldiers do." All, all that sort of really sort of interesting points that she's making and like pinning on the bad batch and you know making them question, you know where you know they should be fighting really and they should be essentially being rebels and fighting against the empire and i think hunter's fighting against it constantly but he's getting worn down and i think ultimately omega's philosophy is probably going to win out in the group which i think is really nice to see but yeah she was great in this episode her support for hera and her belief in hera was really sweet like between the two of them but also just the way that she was just she's standing up to the bad batch now she's not She's not. She's not scared to call them out on their crap if they're being, if they're being um, selfish and not not saving lives. I think. I mean, do you agree? Are you are you enjoying a mega in this episode as well? Yeah, I really am actually. I, I actually really like that line. That line reminded me of something that like a Jedi would say to their Padawan or something. You know, trying to because that's obviously the mission of the Jedi is you meant to stop and save everyone if you can. And I can imagine like. The conversation between like Obi Wan and like Anakin, and Anakin's like, "Well, we don't have time to stop and save everyone." And Obi Wan's like, "Well, that's our job." So I can imagine a similar conversation just between any sort of Jedi and um uh, and their Padawan or something. So it's nice to see that the themes of like I suppose the overwhelming characters of Star Wars is trickling down to Omega. I think that's going to make her a lot, of, you know, a good fan favorite with lots of people if they can see the same ideals in her as they see in like some of their other favorite characters, you know, like most of the Jedi are. 
Yeah. Yeah. And she's, um, as you said, like it's a lot of, a lot of Luke's characteristics from the original trilogy are like really a bit like you're seeing in a mega, like the, you know, I don't really care about the risk, you know, I'm helping my friends. I mean, that's, that's a big, a big part of Luke and is a big part of a mega. And it's interesting. because obviously a couple of episodes ago, we found out she's Boba Fett's twin sister. They could not be doing more to uh, separate her from Boba. <laughs> I mean, Boba only ever fought for himself and we're now seeing someone who, you know, is very selfless as opposed to selfish. So I just think it's very interesting character work they're doing with a mega and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. No, that's a good point, actually. The, the distinguished, um, you know, the difference between yeah, Boba Fett and Omega is really, that is really good. Because um, obviously it just shows that Omega, you know, her upbringing and how she's been raised compared to how Boba Fett's been raised has clearly shaped them two very different people. You know, it's not all not all down to uh, who your father is or like your genetics, as sometimes I feel like Star Wars tries to get across is like, you know, you have Luke, who was worried about turning to the dark side because his dad was Vader. Uh, same with Kylo, same with Rey. You know, it's nice to see that they're just being like, you know, you're a good person because you're a good person. It doesn't matter who your father is, Omega. <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. Well, not father, but like literal clone. So even more so, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it comes across well in this episode. And obviously, eventually seeing the batch sort of turn around and say, right, yeah, we'll help. And, um, you know, Omega and Hera being allowed to sort of go off on their own, essentially, and escort Chopper whilst the others are doing other stuff in the mission. You know, it'd be good for Omega to be, you know, she's getting trusted, obviously, from two episodes ago when they didn't even take her on the Raxus mission to now Hunter being like, right, fine, I trust you, go and do your thing. Um, It's good to see, and it's good to see that development of Hunter and slowly breaking down that very sort of like, what, 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 comes across as sort of like quite a heartless exterior but deep inside it's just a lot of like fear and attachment that he has to Omega and it's slowly starting to get broken down um and yeah good um some good, definitely good character work all round for this yeah I didn't actually I didn't think about that the fact that like yeah she'd been given more freedom this episode than she had obviously two episodes ago um when she had to stay behind um yeah that's a good point actually Showing that they yeah, showing that the they trust her a bit more to complete her task. And I mean, while Chopper failed miserably to uh, turn off the turrets, like uh come on, Chopper, what are you playing at? You know, Omegas and uh, Hera they, they managed to do it their own way. I think, yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, and Hera gets to fly for the first time properly, which was a great scene to to watch. But yeah, we have to talk about Chopper here. Just seeing Chopper rolling about like <laughs> stunning droids and then stunning <laughs> clones and doing all this Chopper stuff was so, so satisfying. The, the fact that, you know, obviously we don't have Rebels anymore. So I, I, I was always thinking that that was us done with Chopper. But seeing uh, seeing some real Chopper you know, war criminal chopper stuff in this episode was absolutely amazing. I loved it. Just when he, when the, the clones get distracted by the ship and he just sneaks up behind them and stuns them both of his little prod thing. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that moment. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't stop chopper. That man is absolutely lethal. The way he walked up and yeah, murked that first droid who was it was on his on his console. I was like, oh, get out of my way. Shot at him. <laughs> don't even don't even know if he'll ever be back online. 
that's, that's another one to add to his kill count. Uh, and then the, the two clones, I mean, again, what voltage did Chopper have that set at? Will we ever see them again? No, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just secretly the, got the highest kill count in all of Star Wars. He's just, I mean, I was, I was just reminding myself the other day after seeing Chopper in the episode of the amount of times he's like pushed droids and people out of ships and off of high places. I mean, the, the droid is an absolute savage. And it was uh, it was nice to see him back in full swing. <laughs> yeah, so it reminds me of um, you know, like iRobot, when all the other robots are programmed to like not not harm humans, and then there's that one robot who can just do what he wants. I feel like that's just Chopper out of like all like the rebel droids. I feel like R two, yeah, he's killed a few people, I think, but only when he has to. Obviously, C three PO does nothing. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of some other droids, but I'm pretty Chopper, sure Chopper... He takes joy. <laughs> Chopper, yeah, Chopper enjoys it, I think. That is the scary thing. Um, is that, yeah, definitely by the time we get to Rebels, I think he's got he's got a thirst for it. Yeah, he definitely does, and you can see where that sort of thirst existed in the past. Um, but obviously, yeah, we sort of got this quite cool, big sort of fight sequence, both at the, um, the big mine facility and then obviously in the in the capital itself with a met of um echo and hunter sort of scaling the wall and breaking into the prison there's one particular moment i absolutely loved and i have to I have to point it out was when tech was flying in in the marauder and then just does like the the dominic toretto like full drift in the car where he just goes full speed and then handbrakes turn all the way around so that <laughs> Wrecker can go oh I'll blow them all up so and just shoots out all the things I thought that that was so cool I didn't expect Tech to be such a baller when he was when he was piloting the ship there I thought that moment was pretty awesome yeah it took me by surprise when he did that like yeah he put his put his foot down full swing nice little drift he got the Tokyo Drift music going in the background and then yeah Wrecker <laughs> just blows everything up yeah it was awesome. I think Tech was great in this episode. There was a, a line he said at the beginning when it was just like when they were listening to Hera's little um, "Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi" sort of hologram thing, and he was just like, "Oh yeah, children tend to over exaggerate stuff <laughs> in like the most sort of like serious, bland way." And then Omega was like, "No, we don't." <laughs> I thought that moment was so good. And then obviously when um, Hera was flying the ship, you know, blowing everything up. And then she like says to Tech, oh, how am I doing? He says, oh, yes, your dangerous driving is just as confusing to them as it is to me. <laughs> I just yeah, yeah, that made me laugh. Tech coming out with the one-liners as always. <laughs> <laughs> the very yeah, sarcastic, dry one-liners. He is, he is hilarious. Yeah, really like Tech. Um, right, so should we, should we do the real talk of the episode? Let's, let's, talk, about, uh, let's talk about Hauser. So obviously, you know, action sequence sort of comes to the end you know hunter and echo break the cindulas out of prison and they're about to sort of escape out the front door um but you know on the other side of the door not realizing crosshair has completely predicted what they're going to do and the evil nasty crosshair has set a trap for them and um and then this was the big surprise of the episode for me hauser comes along he warns them of the trap he betrays the empire um, and then not only does he do that, he then, you know, comes out the door, gives a speech to his brothers, who he describes as good men. Um, and then a lot of them throw down their weapons because they don't think they should be fighting against Ryloth. I imagine as a big clone 
aficionado, John, you probably have a lot of thoughts about this. So, uh, yeah, so what did you think about all of that? Oh, I mean, I was just going to say, like, as soon as... I can't remember what point it was, but in the first episode, there was a point where, I think House has said something that was just, like, a bit, um, like, not disobedient, but, like, he wasn't just agreeing straight away like all the other, like, you know, the other clones that we've seen. And I, I genuinely, I think I leant forward in my chair and was like, oh, hello, like, what's happening here? And ever since then, it's like I'm hanging on to like his every word and movement just to see, like it's how much free will he seems to like still be obtaining. Uh, it's just I feel like there's I feel like it's an obvious answer about how he's managed to get you know do this and like his chip has failed as a, or like doesn't work or something like this. Um, but it's just the the mystery is like how like is he aware of it? Is anyone else around him like notice that he's the only clone that acting different? Cause no one else seems to, apart from I think Hunter and Echo like gave him confusing looks. I mean, I know they're still wearing their helmets, but like, I think Hunter, like as he went to leave, like turned around and was just like watching him, like, which I can only imagine was like a look of confusion by the rest of the audience. Mm. I also think I'll just quickly interrupt you I also think that look that Hunter gave him was a little bit of like a because this whole these last 12 episodes so they've they've taught they've learned the hard way that the clones are now the enemies and I think that was maybe a little moment for Hunter of like actually maybe like maybe there are still good ones and I reckon in his mind at that moment he's probably thinking about Crosshair thinking is there any way that there's still Crosshair left inside that grizzled toothpick chewing shell which is uh trying to kill them at every every corner but yeah no continue yeah i mean then obviously as you said like the the next biggest surprise for me was yeah the fact that other clones after his big speech like threw down their guns and like you know we're gonna join him and like we're not being a part of this uh you know dictatorship anymore like this is not what we were bred you know his big speech is basically you know this is not what we were bred for you know we're for here to protect these people not you know like kill them or capture them or whatever and yeah like i think it was at least like eight or ten of the other clones like threw down their guns and went to join him and it makes you think like is their chips also not working it must be like and how far spread is this do they have like a time limit do they just like malfunction after a while because they've been in their heads for like I don't know, like five years at this point, I suppose. Maybe maybe more, actually, because they had to spend time... They had to spend at least a couple of years at Camino, didn't they, before they could even go out to the field. So, I don't know, like 15 years, maybe? 10, 15 years? Do inhibitor chips have sell-by dates? It's really yeah. the essential question. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm just... It's honestly got me baffled. I've actually been thinking about it all day. And since last week, I've been... What does this mean going forward? Mm. Do you is know this... what? I th- I have a feeling we're building up to all the clones sort of turning on the Empire because, you know, we know for a fact that in the sort of modern era of Star Wars, you know, the Imperial Army is made up of stormtroopers, you know, recruited people. They're not clones. At some point, the clones get phased out where we are in the show so far there's no sign of them getting phased out so i feel like something big is going to happen whether it's in this series or the next series but i don't know i feel like this we're starting to get towards 
sort of uncharted territory here. I think this could be, you know, the beginning of perhaps a clone uprising or, you know, clones no longer choosing to listen to their chips. You know, is this going to be, um, you know, is it going to be clones like Hauser who sort of changed the mind of all the other clones and helped to set them free? Is it going to be the Bad Batch? Are they going to start to clock on to this and think, well, maybe our job now is to help free the other clones, help free Crosshair? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it raises something very interesting. And I imagine, you know, at least a couple of the last episodes are going to deal with this question because I think it's a very interesting question. And, you know, is it just the fact that the inhibitor chips become less effective over time? Is it programming that clones can slowly start to fight back against? Who knows? But yeah, it's definitely the most interesting little hook of this episode for me is that question of Hauser and the other clones and what's going on with chips and following orders because they're starting to move away from the good old-fashioned good soldiers follow orders. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, part of the reason I love, I love the clones, they're some of my favourite I suppose I'll, I'll I'll say they're like a species because they are. I suppose if you have that many people with like with this practically the same DNA, I think you become a species at this point. Um, in Star Wars, it's the like, the tragic nature of Order sixty six. Like, I find it it's you can tell such compelling storytelling. I think if you really wanted to like explore the emotional sides of it, um, I think this is just going to really open up a can of worms. Like yeah, I mean, it's that's a good point. Like does. Does maybe like the fact that the chips are activated like full, to their fullest can um, to their fullest ability? Does that like they and they're now degrading over time, or is it something that like the clones are slowly like working through as it's like going through their minds so much? They fight like, like getting slightly more and more of their free will back as it goes on. Because I know yeah. off the top of my head, I can't remember. I know there are some clones in the Empire that like fight for the Empire. Um, you know, in like the timeline of like the original trilogy and stuff, I still think there's a couple clones here and there. I can't remember how many like in canon, but then I suppose that could be even if the clones were fully free will by that point, I'm sure there'll be a handful that want to sign up for the Empire anyway. You know, because if you have that many people, a couple are going to join up anyway. I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's, it's literally blown my mind about how they literally just thrown this practically side character and given him like in my opinion, like one of the most interesting story components of the whole series. Yeah. Yeah, they really have. And um, I mean, me and you have talked about this a lot, how like, you know, the Clone Wars was always at its best when it was about like the clones and the questions of being a clone and the individuality versus this, you know, the mass similarities and all that sort of stuff. So bringing that forward into Bad Batch would have always been successful. But I think this was a particular surprising way you know, use the clone question, as it were. Um, and particularly with such a side character like Hauser. I mean, we sort of saw the big thing with Wrecker, you know, losing control and nearly killing Omega. And I sort of thought that was them done with the whole chip question for a while. But no, they've brought it back up and now we have even more questions. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was probably one of the biggest strengths of the two episodes, you know. Obviously, seeing Hera and Chopper was a big strength for me and the big Ryloth, Rebels, all that stuff. It's a huge pro for me. But I think obviously the stuff for Hauser as well was really, really fascinating and um, the sort of implications that it might have for Crosshair as well because Crosshair was definitely giving him some looks too. A little bit of, 
you know, were, were the looks in Crosshair's eyes perhaps just pure rage and thinking this is a traitor? Or was there something behind his eyes sort of maybe saying, how come he's free and I'm not, don't know, not, don't want to put thoughts in, uh, in Crosshair's mind, but maybe that's what we're starting mm. to see. I mean, yeah, personally, I read it. I read that look as like almost something of like jealousy or like, you know, like he, that's how he wanted to be. He looked like he looked like he was sad about it in my, in my opinion. I mean, it was a pretty blank expression, not going to lie, but the way I read it was the fact that he was looking at him. Yeah. We, as, as if he was like, why can't I be like that? And then, I feel like right at the end of the episode, it ends with the camera like panning in and zooming in to uh, Crosshair just like sitting on a bench, like some dramatic music in the background, and it's it's a hard expression to read, but I feel like there's definitely like a want there, oh, for, yeah, like, something. I mean, Crosshair, like because he has a helmet on a lot of the time, they the writers have to choose to take the helmet off and show his face very explicitly like they've done in this episode. So they're not doing it for no reason. There's definitely something going on. You know, they wouldn't just take the helmet off for no reason. They're clearly trying to say something with that close-up expression. And, you know, what it is that they're saying, I think will probably make sense by the time we see the end of the series. And we'll probably look back and say, ah, that's what Crosshair was thinking. Um, But any hope that I had for Crosshair, perhaps questioning his orders was gone by the end of the episode because he just asked permission of Rampart to hunt down and kill the Bad Batch. So, <laughs> damn it, Crosshair. <Yeah. laughs> but then I was like, is he just looking for an excuse to like go and find them? Because like, he wants to, like, I don't know, maybe he'll have like a, like a Rex in season, uh, season seven moment where he's like still trying to kill him because of his programming, but like begging for help and like, or like, like begging for help, like while trying to like snipe him from across the map, <laughs> something yeah. like that maybe. And I think the the see, Clone Wars season seven example is interesting because obviously when Rex tried to do what Hauser did to Jesse and the other troops on the ship, it didn't work. But then this time with Hauser, it did work. And you know, it sort of raises the question of: Is it because there's been a longer period of time? Is it because you know there's no Jedi in front of them? Is it because I don't know. I, th- I think, yeah, definitely raises some interesting questions for sure. Yeah, I mean, is it, that's a good point. Is it like, because obviously, as you said, like Jesse, um, he even said, you know, Ahsoka Tano was someone that was like explicitly on their list to like, kill, which is maybe why that didn't work with them. Is it like, now that there's no more Jedi, is it that the program ends like wearing off? Like, because that was like the main objective. Uh, and that was like, the thing that was driving them, and then now that's not there anymore. Like it's slowly fading away. Maybe uh, I yeah, don't know. Perhaps. Well, well, we'll keep an eye on the show and we'll see where it goes. I'm sure if there's one thing that Dave Filoni does, it's answer your questions eventually. <laughs> so whether it's yeah. this series, next series, <laughs> I imagine it's going to be this season because this is a very sort of explicit scene. That if there was no immediate purpose for it wouldn't have been in because it's very much the hero and chopper episodes so they wouldn't have had this whole captain house a subplot i don't think if there wasn't a specific reason for it so we shall see where it goes on a side note well not side note but like in rebels when um kanan was like hated rex was it hera who was like you know they're not all bad 
or have I just made that up? I think it was. Yeah, I think. Well, I think Hera very much questioned his. Yeah. His, his hatred. Yeah. 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 Could this be why? Could it be why? Or, yeah, I, I imagine it probably ties into. Oh, I think Hera's obviously a very sort of lo- loving person anyway. Very maternal, loving person. Sort of by the time you get to Rebels. So I imagine there's probably not an ounce of hate in her body, really. Um, apart from maybe for Thrawn. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I imagine there's probably some tie in here of like, um, you know, her experience with the clones and whether there's still more that we're yet to see. Who knows? Mm. Um, but yeah, two very interesting and very different episodes, I think. Um, you know, the first one, I think a lot of people... I did see a little bit of an outrage after the first episode of people being like, oh, it was pointless or it didn't do anything. It was just to please Rebels fans. But then I think you could say that. Personally, I enjoyed it. I know you did as well. But I think when you combine these two episodes and look at the wider story they're telling about the clones, about the Bad Batch, about Ryloth, about the Empire, about Hera, I think it's much more than that. And I um, I do think this this little mini arc was a, a big success. So um, I'm pleased Pleased to report I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, like, some of the best episodes um, of, like, the Clone Wars and, like, Rebels were, like, three, four-episode arcs. So I feel like you're always going to get a lot more out of an arc anyway. So, you know, the first one's never going to be off the bat, like, the best one because you've got to set up the plot you're going to tell in the next episode. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Give, give, give them a chance, guys! Like, come on! You can clearly tell that one was going to go somewhere in the next episode. <laughs> I also think, I also think, because a lot of people, the way they've watched Clone Wars is from binging. Uh, you know, I imagine most of the people who've watched Clone Wars have actually watched it since it was coming out on a week to week basis. Um, so they sort of see Clone Wars as like, right, we watch a free episode arc at once. Whereas because this was like a whole week apart, I think. I think if you, by the end of the series, if you watch Bad Batch from start to finish or 16 episodes sort of as a binge, I think people will see that, that, you know, there's not filler or anything like that. It's one story being told in different chapters. And I think these two episodes formed one very interesting chapter. Um, And yeah, I'm definitely excited for next week. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm wondering how, like, how much it will tie in. Will they, like, be going somewhere else? And, like... Will it basically? I'm saying like, will it turn into like a three episode arc, or like, will it be like still mm. mentioned but not quite the main? Yeah, I plot? imagine, yeah, I imagine this is the end. I don't think we'll see Hera and Chopper. I think this is probably the end of them. I mean, there's only four episodes left of the season, yeah. so I imagine they're going to start sort of revving up for the finale now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm assuming. Actually, I suppose they could do like a three episode arc for the final, or like set it up next episode. And then uh, for maybe the final three, have it as like a big uh, finale arc. You know, was it like 20 minutes an episode? So a big like yeah. almost hour and a half final sort of thing. Whoa. Imagine. I think I nice. think final episode is going to be on Camino. I'm calling it right now. Uh, Clone Uprising on Camino final episode. You've heard it at first. Yeah. Riots across Camino of all the clones. Yeah, I'll, I'll enjoy that. But yeah, no, Bad Batch continues to be really good. And I now want to go and rewatch Rebels because I love Chopper and obviously Hera as well. I'm hoping next week we see a young Zeb and then the week after we see Sabine. <laughs> and then the week after that, we see little baby Ezra. And that's that will keep me happy. <laughs> yeah, that's all we need. 
<laughs> so have you got any any other thoughts to add or are you all all spoken out no i mean all i could do is speculate about what's happening with the clones so i feel like i've thrown my ideas in, in, out there now i have to wait and see what happens next episode or next three episodes yeah definitely and i am looking forward to it right so we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there this is uh this has been our discussion of bad batch episode 11 and 12 i think it's 11 and 12 i hope it is um so we've been we've been talking all about Ryloff and I imagine we won't be talking about Ryloff anymore, but it's been nice to see it. Um, next week we'll be back talking more Bad Batch. Whatever happens next week, we'll have it covered here. So um, yeah, follow our podcast on whatever podcast app you use so you don't miss any episodes. Follow us on Twitter at Vader's Castle Pod and Instagram at Live from Vader's Castle. And uh, yeah. That's been us. Thanks for thanks for being here as always, John. Anytime. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.